We've come to uh, chapter 10, the uh, famous Good Shepherd passage. Throughout this book, if you've been with us for the study, you know that uh, John has been demonstrating how Jesus uh, fulfills all these kind of famous Old Testament ideas and images. So he starts his book in chapter 1 and 2 with uh, Jesus introduced as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, fulfilling all the lambs of sacrifice from the Old Testament. And then he shows us that Jesus is the fulfillment of of the messianic wine of, of joy, the wine of joy of the messianic age, that Jesus brings in that new wine and fills up the purification jars to the full. And then John shows us that Jesus is, is the temple himself, God with us. And then, in chapter 4, we're with the women at the well, we see that Jesus is the, the living water that wells up to eternal life. And he's also, as we read on, that the healing waters, like the pool of Bethesda. And then we see in chapter 6 that he's the, the bread of life, like the manna in the desert that God provides for his people. In chapter 8, we just saw that he was the light of the world and the great I am, the great name of God, as he approached Moses. And that's just a few that John has been showing us. And now as we come to chapter 10, we are introduced to Jesus, the good shepherd. Probably the most well-known image of God in the Old Testament in how he relates to his people. He is their, their shepherd, their good shepherd. In fact, in Ezekiel 34 that we just read, God promised that one day he would come and shepherd his people directly himself because the shepherds of Israel were so corrupt and leading them astray. He promises eventually, I will come and shepherd you myself. And Jesus shows up here and says, hey, that's me. I'm the good shepherd. Your good shepherd has come. Now I have to say, I've come to a place in my life where this image of Jesus is very encouraging and, and exciting to me. But it wasn't always that way. Growing up uh, as a kid and a teenager, this was not the most exciting image. Jesus, the shepherd. Uh, I can remember kind of the flannel graphs and the pictures in my, uh, in my Bible of Jesus, the good shepherd. It just kind of made me sleepy. You know, there he was in the green pastures, maybe a little sheep on his, uh, you know, on his shoulders with his crook, and he's patting a sheep. It's serene, and it's calm, and I just thought, ah, oh, so boring. And I just kind of felt sleepy. It was right, categorized, I think, right in my brain next to counting sheep was Jesus' shepherd. Yawn. Nap time. And you know, I think this kind of westernized Sunday school version of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, that's imprinted in a, probably a lot of our minds, sums up exactly what people think of Jesus and Christianity and especially church. It's just kind of safe and calm and boring. 
slumber-inducing. I remember uh, we were having a VBS, our vacation Bible school, one year. I was leading it that year, and the uh, registration was here, and all the parents were showing up with their kids. And I remember this one mother, she was kind of getting her kids across the parking lot, and the older one, who was probably in fourth grade or something, was taking each step across the parking lot saying, boring, 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 as she's saying, come on. I mean, that's, that's what it was for him. That's what he was thinking, oh man, this is going to be bad. This is how people kind of think. I mean, if you want to have a good time and enjoy life, you've got to stay away from all that Christian stuff and that church stuff. It's just boring. And granted, there are uh, some grounds for this opinion. In the name of Christianity, people have come up with some pretty ridiculous ideas and rules uh, about how you should live that can be a bit boring. I remember when we moved to Illinois from, from uh, California to our first church, very conservative church, and it was youth group time on Sunday afternoon, and I was all excited, and I went to youth group only to find out that we couldn't play games because it was the Sabbath even though that was on Saturday, but Sunday, no playing games. Boring. Now, if that's been your experience of Christianity, or that's kind of just how you think of Christianity, I want you to take that shepherd image for a minute that maybe you have in your mind, and I want you to put it aside. And I want to take a fresh look at Jesus, the good shepherd here, because what he says here about being our good shepherd is, is really exactly the opposite. In fact, when you get to verse 10, this is what Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Jesus says that him being our shepherd means abundant life. And that's not just a quantitative statement, right? Like abundant, like lots of life, eternal life. I think it means that. But it actually is a qualitative statement. He is saying, I came to bring you life to the full. I think the NIV actually translates that way. Life to the full. He brings the best life to be lived. The shepherd gives them everything they need. The sheep here in this imagery, this little metaphor here, they are living high on the hog or the sheep or something, right? The good shepherd is giving them everything, life to the full. So, so what is this, how does this translate across to us today as the sheep? What does it mean that we get this full, abundant life? Does it mean parties and you know, gourmet food? And, well, let's look again, and let's see what this looks like. Look at verses 1 through 5, then we'll kind of... Check it out. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. We'll come back to the thief and robbers. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he is brought uh, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice 
of the stranger. See, if you're picking it out, what we see here in this illustration is relationship. We see that the life, the full life that this shepherd brings to the sheep is a life of relationship with him. It's a life of relationship with God. We cannot know the abundant life in this world without a real relationship with our God, our Creator. A sheep-to-shepherd relationship. It makes sense. If you think about joy in, in life, it's all relational. There's no joy in life without relationships. It's no fun to party without friends. It's no fun to you know, dance by yourself. Sports are boring when you're alone. That's why you see the kid on the basketball court just kind of waiting for his friends to show up. We laugh and joke with friends. If we laugh and joke by ourselves, we're probably not healthy. And there's no one, there's no love without another person to love. All joy is essentially relational. And the ultimate relationship we need for joy is, is this way. It's with our God, our creator. And look how intimately this, this kind of sheep-shepherd thing is portrayed, how it shows this relationship. First thing it tells us is that the sheep here know their shepherd's voice. They know his distinct call and they respond to him. Look at verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. Verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. They know their shepherd's voice. And he calls them. Now, let me give you a little ancient Near East shepherding background to clarify things. You see, the sheepfold pictured here in verse 1 is sort of a communal corral. When the shepherds were in town at night, they would place their sheep in this common sheep pen where there was one hired gatekeeper. That's why it talks about the gatekeeper here. So it's sort of like our nursery. You can put all the kids. We don't all go with our kids to the nursery. We put them all in there, and we've got a few hired guns back there that, uh, that keep an eye on them. But they just had one gatekeeper, and he could stay there and, and watch all the sheep for the night. And then in the morning, they could go pick up their sheep, the shepherds. Now, of course, when they showed up in the morning, the sheep weren't in nice little groups. It wasn't, there's Bob's sheep, and there's, you know, Ron's group. No, they'd all mixed together. So how did they get their sheep? They didn't have the little tags like the nursery with the numbers. How did they get their sheep? Well, the shepherd had a call, a unique kind of sing-song call that was his call and he would call his sheep at the gate and his sheep would come out from amongst all the other sheep and follow him they knew his voice his call distinctly now this is kind of an intimate thing isn't it most of us have experienced this kind of intimate kind of voice knowledge in our lives right you have parents, you have. When I was a kid, this is how I would find my mom at church. I remember we were meeting in a community center 
after church, there would be all, you know, you're this big, so it's just slacks and skirts everywhere. Got your donut fingers. And my mom, I would look, where's my mom? And I would just listen, and I would hear her distinct laugh. It's kind of like, oh, above everybody, I would hear her laugh, and I would hone through the skirts and the slacks, putting my donut fingers on everybody, and then I'd finally come in on the, hone in on that, that laugh, and there was mom. I knew my mama's voice. But not only does this text say that the sheep know the shepherd's voice, but he, the shepherd, knows each of them by name. Did you see that? He knows each of them by name as he leads them out. It says that at the end of verse 3. According to, to scholars, it was customary for Palestinian shepherds to name their sheep according to their characteristics. Kind of, we do that, right? You got fluffy and spot and baldy and whatever, the different, different names for the sheep. My dad, I remember when he was reflecting on this in, in his sermon years ago, was wondering if God's kind of did the same thing with us, if he kind of names us by our, you know, spiritual characteristics like, spiritual prog- like, uh, like Pilgrim's Progress, right? What would your name be? I, I was sort of hoping mine would be something like Carrie the Valiant or something like that. But it was probably more like, there's old, short, and faithless. There he is right there. Get over here, you spiritual dimwit. Come on. And I'd come over like a dog. You know when you, you got your dog and you're like, oh, you're so dumb. And they're like, ha. Anyway. Um. But what we need to see here is that this name knowledge This character knowledge actually runs really deep. Look at verse 15, actually verse 14 with me. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. How well does Jesus know the Father and the Father know Jesus? Pretty well. They're one. Intimately. He knows everything about the Father. And it says he knows his sheep the same way. The good, the bad, the secret, all of it. He knows us. Complete, intimate knowledge. This is the basis of any real relationship, right? I mean, we get a sense of it in marriage, you know, after you're married, and you've been living, you know, 24-7, year after year, you begin to, you know each other. You start to speak each other's thoughts before the other person says, I was going to say that. And it gets a little scary you know each other so well. But it's what's so real and good. My friends, Jesus, our God, Our shepherd knows us like he knows himself. And that's the core of life to the full. To be known by our God and to know him. A real relationship with our creator who knows every intimate detail and lovingly calls us by name. 
Christianity is not about rigid rules or sleepy platitudes. It's about a real relationship, a real friendship, a joyous relationship with our God. So here's the question. Is that what, is, is that what has been going on with your relationship with God? Is it that kind of thing? Would you describe your, your religious experience or, or your Christian experience in these kind of terms? How would you describe your relationship with God? How would God describe his relationship to you? Would it be old friend or would it be who? Now we see another element of this life to the full that helps define this life in verse, in verse 3 and 4. Again, it says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. You see, there's a particular uh, guidance, isn't there, by the sheep. This relationship means, means a guidance from our God, a leadership in our life that we follow. See, the thing about sheep, it's very clear throughout all the scriptures, is that uh, they're stupid. They're not smart. They actually, without their shepherd, will wander away and fall off a cliff. Without a shepherd, they will follow a well-worn path where there's nothing to eat. Even though there's foliage to eat off the path, they'll stay right on it and starve. Without a shepherd, sheep will get what they, they call cast. Philip Keller, in his book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, talks about this. He's, he's kind of an expert on this. He says this is, a, he was a shepherd himself, talks about how they will eat a bunch of food and then go out in the sun and kind of roll over on their backs and the gases will kind of expand in their stomachs and they won't be able to roll over and get back on their feet and they'll die. They'll literally roll over and die without a shepherd. They're not the smartest of all creatures. A professor at Bethel College once said, sheep are prima facie evidence against the theory of evolution. <laughs> they would have never made it. <laughs> and unfortunately, in this passage, we are the sheep. We need help. We need leadership. We need guidance. And, I, and we all know this inherently. We, we, we look for it all our lives. As children, we look to teachers and coaches and mentors. And as adults, we need it. We pay for it. Big money. To counselors, to gurus, to life guides, to tell us what to do. Back in my day in the 80s and 90s, there was a guy, he's still around, but he was big at the time, Anthony Robbins power of positive thinking guy guide to the stars this guy made a fortune telling people what to do about 
you know, believing in themselves, unleash the power within. We want true guidance that we can trust. We don't want to wander aimlessly. We don't want to fret over which way to go. We don't want to look back and regret that we've gone the wrong way. We're looking for it. But in Jesus, in Christ, and in the full life he offers, there there needs to be no such angst. He is the way, the truth, the life. He guides his sheep into pastures. Think of the imagery of Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me through the, even the valley of death. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Leadership that guides and provides and protects all along the way. Imagine that amongst all the deceit and self-serving abuses of power in this world. Leadership that you can trust fully, that is always looking out for your best interests. A guide that is never confused, always knows the way to go, be invaluable. But it's truly part of life to the full in Christ. But I wanted you to note the other side of the leadership. Verse 4. Let's look at it again. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. You see, there are lots of other voices out there calling the sheep. Our text refers to them over and over again as thieves and robbers. We saw it at the start, and if you read through, you'll see it a couple more times. Thieves and robbers. They try to woo the sheep as legitimate shepherds promising life, but they only bring death and destruction, according to verse 10. Let's take a look at it. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. They come, they are false shepherds, they're promising the good life, but only bringing destruction. What do you think some of those voices are today? The false shepherds calling. Where do we hear them? Well, I know growing up, I would hear them all the time with the beer ads on TV. The beer ads always promise the good life. They still do, if you look right. Back then, it was all about you know, relaxing and having a good time. Now it's like fitness. It cracks me up. Beer ads are like, you're going to be really fit and skinny if you drink this. It's weird. Especially if you drink the light beer. But the one I like to remember from growing up was, remember uh, the, the, the Miller High Life ads. All the guys sitting around a campfire after a great day of fishing, holding their beers, and one of them says, what? Guys, it just doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> doesn't get any better. <laughs> uh, you know, in Australia, where I went to seminary, beer is kind of like a national pastime. 
It's everywhere. They, they have a pub on every corner. They love their beer. They are living the high life. But what's interesting is that uh, one out of every five hospital beds in Australia is taken up by a person whose condition is directly related to alcohol and alcoholism. So it's promising life. It's bringing death. Now today, I think there's, uh, it's not so much the beer commercials, although they're still going. I think it's more the, uh, the prominent voices on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok, the influencers, the experts on the beautiful good life. They're out there. <laughs> and they offer it all, beauty, fitness, exotic lifestyles. But, you know, they are what this text is talking about. They're thieves and robbers. They aren't for you. They aren't for your fullness. They don't know you. They don't care for you. They're only funding their, their own lives, using you. The interesting thing, though, about this text is that in the context, especially of Ezekiel 34 and even what's going on in the New Testament with the leadership, the false shepherds that he's really directed at is not the ones out there. It's the ones right here in the, in the church, in the community, in the, in the religious circles. The, the Pharisees in this previous chapter, the false teachers who are stressing rules and regulations rather than relationship with God through his shepherd Jesus. We see this over and over again in this text. And of course, their rigid rules of self-righteousness are only serving their status and their power and their self-indulgence. And they ultimately bring death and destruction. I recently watched a documentary entitled Shiny Happy People. It's kind of a scathing indictment of the Bill Gothard movement, a sect of Christianity that takes the authority structure of the Bible that's supposed to be sacrificial and serving and really twist it into oppression and abuse, all the while keeping a forced, happy smile and a clean, organized home. It was, uh, it was very popular, actually, back in the 70s. My father had to chase it out of his church in California, and it's actually had very deep roots here in the, in the Northwest, popularized, popularized by the uh, purity and dating culture of the 80s and 90s, and more recently, reality TV shows like The Duggars, 19 and Counting, or something like that. It's ugly, self-righteous, joyless, rigid religion in the name of Christ. It's not the way of life. It's not the truth. Its leaders are false shepherds, robbers, and thieves. Maybe that's been your religious experience. Maybe it's been your experience of Christianity. Maybe you were raised this way, and it sucked the joy of life right out of you and consequently you've rejected God or Christianity altogether. Or maybe you're just following the, the empty ways and promises of the world, the joy of the, the beer ads and the internet gurus. Either way, you're on a path that leads to death 
and destruction. This text tells us that Jesus' true sheep listen to his voice. Not those lies. They know his voice. They only hear their shepherd, Jesus, and they follow him alone. They follow him as as a sheep follows a shepherd. He is their everything, their leader, their provider, their protector, their guider, their savior. They trust him fully with every area of life. He knows them and they know him in a real and trusting relationship. So again, the question is, are you following Jesus like this? Or if you're honest... Is he maybe more of a consultant than a shepherd in your life? Like the bumper sticker, you know, God is my co-pilot. Does he not have access to certain restricted areas of your life? Is he your shepherd? Because when you let him be your shepherd, this kind of leader, only then will you know his life to the full. You will have the creator God, the designer and builder of all truth incarnate, love personified, who knows you better than you know yourself, leading your life. And it just doesn't get any better than that. Well, actually, it does get a little better. Because there's one last element of this life to the full, and it's simply this. Rescue. Life to the full is about an intimate relationship with God that brings guidance and loving leadership and ultimately rescue to your life. Look at verse 11 and 12 with me. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Look at verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. You see, we are not to miss that Jesus, as the good shepherd, is not like the hired hand who runs away when danger comes to save his own hide. He gives his life to save his sheep. And it doesn't say he's willing to give it and would if the opportunity came. It says he does. And we know that he already has at the cross. And note that it's not because the the soldiers caught him and put him up on the cross. What does it say in verse 18? No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus gave his life for his sheep, for us. Why? Well, according to Isaiah 53, 
a text very well known by the Jewish audience listening to Jesus. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. To put it simply, as sheep, we're, we're not just stupid, we're rebellious sinners. We've rejected God, our shepherd, and gone our own way. We've gone down the path of destruction, and we're facing death and judgment that we deserve. But Jesus, our good shepherd, came and took it all for us. He laid his life down. All our sin, all our iniquities were put on him. He took our death. He took our judgment. He stepped in as our good shepherd to protect and save us. That we may be brought back into relationship with our holy creator God. Into his loving guidance. Into his life to the full. And by the way, this is why there's no other way to such an abundant life that, that starts now and goes into eternity. Jesus is the only way to life to the full. Because he's the only Savior who's laid down his life for the sheep. No other guru in life, no other life guide does that, right? They don't pass through the valley of the shadow of death for you. They stop at death. They go, go ahead. You're on your own. He's the only good shepherd who can walk us through that valley to life. That's why Jesus also calls himself something else in this text. Did you notice that? You notice how he mixed his metaphors? What does he say when we get to uh, verse 7 and 8? Let's look at it here. I might have to flip back. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture says he's the door. It's interesting. A famous Old Testament scholar tells the story of being on travels in, and meeting a, uh, in, the, in the Middle East, and he, he meets a, a shepherd, an Arab shepherd. And I'll read this section. He says, he was one day traveling with a guide and came across a shepherd and his sheep. He fell into conversation with him. The man showed him the fold in which the sheep were led at night. It consisted of four walls with a way in. Sir George said to him, that is where they go at night? Yes, said the shepherd, and when, they are, and when they are in there, they are perfectly safe. But there is no door, said Sir George. I am the door, said the shepherd. He was not a Christian man. He was not speaking in the language of the New Testament. He was speaking from the Arab shepherd's standpoint. Sir George looked at him and said, what do you mean by door, by the door? Said the shepherd, when the light has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space and no sheep ever goes out but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. See, the only way into the sheepfold of life, 
of real abundant life is across the body of Jesus, the good shepherd. My friends, we have a shepherd that knows us intimately. He knows every sin, every thought, every dark place in our life. The stuff nobody else knows. There's nothing hidden from him. Think about that for a minute. Yet he loves us. He loves you so much he gave his life in your place and then took it up again. Think about that. To new life. And now he offers you and me new full life. Life abundant into eternity that starts now. Is the Lord Jesus your shepherd? Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? According to verse 16 in this text, Jesus is collecting his sheep. He's making his flock. He's calling. Will you hear his voice? Will you follow him and have life? And I can guarantee it won't be boring. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you aren't a removed, transcendent God. But you enter in. You come to shepherd us, to save us, to guide us, to give us life. We pray that as we leave here, we would daily hear your voice and follow and know your abundant life. Amen.